Isaiah chapter number 6. I'm not going to read the entire uh, thing tonight, um, chapter 1, or verses 1 down through verse number 8, but I do want to read those first, um, let's just say those first three verses, and uh, then we'll get right into the message. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, and each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face, and with twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another, and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. We may as well, since we're so close, read verse number seven, uh, verse 4. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. And this morning we started the message that uh, I intended on finishing today, not coming to a series or anything, uh, but that was the title, What We Need. And uh, we gave you just a little bit about uh, King Uzziah, and we told you over there in Second Kings uh, that his name is, uh, I don't forget, Azariah. Uh, he's got a son that would soon take over for him named Jotham, or Jotham. And uh, he begins to do good in the sight of God as well. Uh, but when he dies, then the, the next king, which is Ahaz, he begins to do wicked in the sight of God and actually tears down the temples uh, built for God and begins to build up temples to false gods. And so you kind of see that ebb and flow. And if you read through the Old Testament, you'll find that. Uh, one king does good and the people do good. Another king does bad and the people... Uh, do bad. An interesting thing, as far as we know right here, uh, relatively, as Uzziah is leading them, the people are, uh, for the majority, they are living righteous lives. They're doing what they're supposed to do. Now, in verse number six, uh, verse number five, he says, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And so clearly there was a need there for the people to, to, to get right. Um, but relative to the amount of people, they were, they were doing good. Now, when Uzziah died and Jothan came into rule, he did what was right in the sight of God. And it says that he did right that was in the sight of David, his father. But it also gave the warning that the people strayed. And so it's interesting to me that although the ruler is doing what he's supposed to do, those people can still go astray. And and and, and it's not the listen listen it's not the king that's supposed to be keeping the people right. It's the preacher. It was Isaiah, and Isaiah had to get right here in chapter six before he could ever help the people get right after Uzziah died. And we look at we look at our nation, and we want to we want to point fingers at at how people are acting and reacting based on our government. But can I tell you one thing tonight? Though our government may have been founded on principles to God, our government was to never leave a lost and dying world to God. But His church was, His people were, His preachers were, and the reason that we've gotten to the point now is because the preachers and the people and the churches 
have laid down and they've let everything else happen. It's all right to stay in on Sunday night. That was free. You ain't got to pay for that. So as we as we get back into this, and, and as, as I mentioned, I'm going to try my best to hurry. But I said point number one, we need to see what Isaiah saw. Uh, as Brother David so eloquently does. I love the way he gives outlines. I just can't do it. But subpoint A is he saw God's position. Then subpoint B is he saw God's personality. We we told you in that position that he saw him high and lifted up. In his personality, he saw these seraphim crying and flying around the throne of God saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God of hosts or the Lord of hosts. Then they subpoint number or some point C is he saw God's presence. Now, uh, in seeing God's presence, we look at this, and, and I'll try to finish this thought and we'll go to the house. Uh, but he saw God's presence in verse number four, and, and the post of the door moved, and the voice of him that cried, uh, and the house was filled with smoke. So we look at this, and we're told that this house was filled with smoke. We mentioned to you, and I believe even in Sunday school a few weeks ago, uh, Brother David may have mentioned that cloud um, by day and that fire by night when the people were were uh, going out of Egypt. And, and in that we see this smoke. As the people of, of Israel were in the wilderness and they set up a temple, the Bible says that the glory shone in that place. And we get the we get the word we get the phrase Shekinah glory, and we don't really say that a whole lot in our Baptist churches. Uh, a lot of times that's that's for a more charismatic crowd, but it is still a good phrase that Shekinah glory. Uh, but what it means, Daniel, is it is a heaviness. It is such a it, it is smothering. And it is not swinging from the chandeliers. It is not running down the aisles. It is not running around the camp meeting. Uh, but this glory that appeared to the people there, it basically said, God is dwelling here. Stay away. Now that's hard for us to imagine because just this morning we asked the Holy Ghost to come into this place. And, and throughout the prayers this evening we've asked God to meet with us and show His Holy Spirit. But if the Lord truly showed Himself as He did in these days, oh, we, we would not be able to truly experience God the way we think we can. We think when God shows up, people are in the altars and people are weeping. But can I tell you this? What happened in that first temple, or tabernacle rather, in the Old Testament, when the glory appeared there in the midst of the tabernacle and the people were on the outside, they knew something was different and they stayed in the door of their tent and they worshipped. Now, I can't get too far off in this, but wouldn't it be wonderful if we begin to worship at the house? Amen. Wouldn't it be wonderful? I know that several of us have pianos at the house. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we got up on Sunday mornings or we got around at Sunday night or Wednesday night, just began to play an old song? And I was I was messing around on the piano this morning, and I wish I could play. Good night. If I'm praying that God will let me learn to play the piano like some of these folks, and and I did, I just he ain't answered me yet, but I was playing that song. He came to be. But I could not go Amen. to where he was. He came to me. Amen. And I wanted, Brother David, I wanted to tell you, hey, come over here and sing that this morning. 
but I know I throw you some curveballs, and I wasn't ready to, to, to throw you on this morning, but my goodness gracious, wouldn't it be wonderful if we expected the glory of God to appear in our churches, yeah. and so we began to worship that Lord. Well, that was free too. He saw God's presence. He said this house, the house was filled with smoke, and this is a picture of the presence of God. And it's possible that Isaiah had never seen that before. It's entirely possible that Isaiah had never experienced that before. I told you this morning, the first five chapters, they're great chapters, they're great words, but they were based upon things that Isaiah had not experienced yet. They were based on things that he thought he should have said and, and things that other people thought he should have said. But in chapter number 6, it is God that says, you can read verse number 9, it is God that says, listen big boy, uh, you've already said, here am I, send me. Now I want you to go to a people that don't want to hear what you want to say. I want you to preach a message that they don't want to hear. He said, I want you to go to a place, it's going to seem empty, it's going to seem uh, void of people, but I still want you to go and preach. And can I tell you again, uh, since we're just giving away stuff, uh, just do what God tells you to do, regardless of who's going to hear you, regardless of the pats on your back, or regardless if you've got a house full or a tent full, regardless if your coffers are running over because people just want to give to God, uh, just go ahead and do what God tells you to do. And let him work out the rest. Somebody right. said, yeah. He saw God's presence. This was that symbol of the presence of God. The smoke it filled the temple. It speaks then of the train. And I realize we're kind of going backwards now. Verse number one, and his train filled the temple. I briefly mentioned that this morning. And Samuel, if I get this wrong, just you correct me afterwards. But this, this train, of course, speaking of his robe, speaking of his majesty, speaking of, of who he is, this is the king. This is just not, I hate to use this word, but this is not some flunky that walked up on the, on the platform and got in the, in the king's chair. This was the king. He was higher than Uzziah ever was. He was more righteous, more holy, more majestic than Uzziah ever was. And the Bible said his train filled the temple. This is what uh, Samuel told me one of the last times I preached here. And he said that he had learned through, through other preachers and through study of his own that when a, when a king would go to battle and he would be victorious, he would cut off a piece of that king's robe and attach it to himself. And y'all, y'all catch that. When, when King A would be victorious over King B, this King A back here would cut off part of King B's robe and attach it to his own, thus making it a little bit longer. And it says his train filled the temple. Think about the victory that God could not live. Think about the good not live. <laughs> I don't know when this was as far as years, but clearly, clearly, what's your name, boy? Bobby Benny. Benny, wear a name tag next time you come up here. Put it on your forehead. Benny, God has been victorious as long as God has been, which has been ever. Forever. As far back as we can go, God was victorious. And every one of those victories added to the glory of God. 
In, in Isaiah's time, his tent and his train filled the temple. Could you just imagine how many victories he's won since then and how his train may fill the temple? Now, let's, let's, just, let's forget about Isaiah for a minute. Let's forget about eternity past for a minute. Let's, let's try to think just for a moment, Ashton, if you can remember what day and what hour and what date of the year, calendar date that you got saved. Think back to that time and in your own life how many victories God has won in your own life. And think for a minute how his train must fill the temple of our own heart. Amen. I can tell story after story after story about things that I struggled through, but God was victorious. And worries that I thought about, but yet God came through victorious. Needs that needed to be met, and God was victorious over those things. Burdens that I bore and I wept and I sorrowed over, but God was victorious. Losses that I suffered, but God was victorious over them. And in my own heart, just as Isaiah's heart, I believe that I can stand up and honestly say that we truly see the presence of God, His train, His victory, His glory would fill the temple of our Amen. Isaiah was reminded that Uzziah was gone, but the Lord was still there. My. Sometimes I love my wife. And I believe, and, and I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say this. I believe that every, every pastor and every preacher needs a godly wife behind them. Man. My soul. Y'all don't, y'all don't see, y'all don't see, she don't talk a whole lot here. And she don't talk a whole lot at home. But there's godliness about her. And she, she instills that in her own girls. I need her. And I may depend on her too much. I need my two daughters. God put them in my life. And I may depend on them too much. Brother Kurt, you are a young preacher in the church and I may call you and say, I can't make it to church tonight. I'm sick, whatever. I need to depend on you to be there all the time to unlock, but, but I can depend on you too much. So David's our song leader, piano player, bass player, Sunday school teacher. I can depend on Brother David too much. But when Brother David's gone, I hope you never leave. Don't, don't you get what I do. <laughs> when Brother David leaves, Brother Kurt may be called to some foreign land. Get ready. <laughs> Who else did I say? When my daughters are married and gone, and my wife, God forbid, leaves this world and I'm left, can I tell you? The Lord is still going to be with And that's easy for me to say. That's easy for me to say because I've not lost these people in my life. Some of you have, rather recently. But can I remind us all that God is still there? Amen. And He is still, He is still showing His glory. Amen. And His victory. All you got to do is look around. Oh, there's God's glory. 
you, you turn the corner and you're, you're lonely. Oh, there's God. Boy, His trains just fill this place. Oh, I'm so, I'm so burdened right now. But oh, there's God's glory. It looks like He's already been victorious over this once. And it's just a reminder. He can be victorious. He can be victorious. Amen. Oh, goodness. I thought we were going to have a repeat after me in one, two, three tonight and go to the house, but I'm having a good time. Amen. He had not been forsaken. <laughs> the Lord was still with him. I'm grateful. We need to remember this evening that if you're saved, we are never alone. Matthew 28 20, we mentioned this just the other day. It says, Lo, I'm with you always, even unto the end of the world. You know, the good thing about that is what, what James says, it's appointed unto many wants to die and after this the judgment or after that the judgment. We, 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 may, we may breathe our last breath between here and the end of the world, but God promised he's going to be there. We may be living, and I hope I am, when God sends his son, says, son, go get your bride. And Jesus steps out on the clouds and says, come up hither. I Amen. hope I'm alive. Yes. But as far as, as far as I'm concerned, he's never left us. Amen. He's never. And, and if I understand it right, on when that day comes, and we're going we're gonna to be raptured out of this place, and we'll meet the Lord in the air. We're going to end up in glory that we sing about, and we're yes. going to see those those sights unfurled. Finally, our faith becomes sights. But then one day, Jesus is coming back to establish his kingdom here. Everything is going to be defeated. Everything will at peace. We'll get peace. Satan is then cast into the lake of fire. Death, hell, and the grave are cast into the lake of fire. Never to be brought up again. Never to be seen. Never to accuse. You start thinking about the accuser of yeah. the brethren. Goodness yeah. gracious. I had a young lady ask, I can't, I can't. I had a young lady ask me the other day about all the sins of her past and, and how does the devil know all of these things? And, and is he omniscient? Is he omnipresent? Is he omnipotent? Can I tell you, no, no, and no. The things that Satan knows is likely because we're the ones that tells him. As Satan knows what we've done before we got saved, and he is then, and he is now, and he will be the accuser of the brethren. And I want you to know, though good you may have done today, uh, there is something that Satan can find, and, and Satan can bring up before this thrice holy God, and he can begin to accuse you, and he can begin to accuse myself. But I'm glad that no matter what, if it's been forgiven, if it's been confessed and placed under the blood, I bless God that advocate that we have with the Father, which is Jesus Christ, stands up at the desk of God and he says, may I interrupt, sir? And he says, I realize what Lucifer, I realize what the tempter, I realize what the accuser, I'm about to run! I realize what the accuser of the brethren has brought up, but may I present and remind you, sir, of that it is under the blood. I have already paid the price. But that no longer is placed upon this man. Because it was because it was placed on me on Calvary. He no longer has to pay it. So, so with that we see that that uh, he's 
Christ is never going to forsake us until the end of the world. I'm trying my best to wrap the world up. One of these days, Satan will be there. He's sly, man. He can get you when you least expect it. You bring up something to, and, and I told this young lady, and I said, there's certain things that, that you know, reaching for Satan to tempt me with, but it ain't gonna bother me. It ain't gonna bother me. There ain't no reason for him to come to me with a, a needle, a vial full of some drug. There's no reason for him to come to me with a, a flash full of alcohol because it absolutely does nothing to me. But there's some things that he knows that I can fall just like that. He will tempt me of those things. And those things may not be tempting to you, but they are to me. I'm glad one of these days, Nathan, if you don't slap three fat people running around this house, something's wrong with you, Lord. I'm telling you, it, listen, one of these days, Satan, he's going to be cast into that lake of fire. Never have to see me again. At that point, at that point, God sets up a new Jerusalem. A new heaven and a new earth. That's the end of this one. And Jesus not one time left it. And even if that's way off in the future, and I believe it's soon, but even if it is way off in the future, Bubba, I'm, I'm glad to report that Matthew 28, 20 is still in the book. Lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the world. Hebrews chapter 13, verse number 5. He said, let your conversation be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. I always picture a, a parent here in this, I will never leave thee nor, nor forsake thee. And sometimes what we do as parents is we tell our children to do something and we go very, very close. But we go and we maybe shut the door and we may look around the door to see if they're doing what we told them to do. We've kind of left them. We've hidden ourselves from them. He says, I'm never going to leave you. But I'm also never going to get in the car and drive 600 miles away. I'm never going to leave you without anything. I'm never going to leave you without my presence. How does he do that, Stanley? John chapter 14. He said, I, don't let, let not your heart be troubled. He says that twice in that particular chapter. Verse number 1 and maybe around verse number 26, 27, something like that. But the reason that he said that, he's building up. He gives in verses 1 down through verse number 6, he gives us a picture of, of heaven and what he's prepared. And he gives us a promise that he's coming again. But in those later verses, he begins to tell us about somebody that he's sending in his place. But it's not somebody different. It's a part of him. It's a part of God. That comfort that's with us, that dwells inside of us. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Let's stand tonight. I, 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 I want to get to the rest of this. We're going to try one of these days to pick up in verse number five. As you get to thinking about that glory shown there in verse number one. And, and the holiness shown there in verse 3 and 4. My goodness, before you can ever get to verse number 5 where he said, Woe is me, he's going to experience the presence of God. And, and just in case you don't come back next time whenever I preach this, before you can ever get to verse number 5 and say, Woe is me, you've got to see him 
You've got to see him. Chapter number five, there were six woes. There were six woes in chapter number five. Not one of them included Isaiah. But the very first time you see Isaiah talking in chapter number six, 